the magic of XAPI isn't the technology, right? The technology is relatively boring. The magic of XAPI is the agreement of an entire global community to talk about learning and performance experiences in the same way. I'm Salisa Steele. I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 319, which features a conversation with Megan Torrance. Megan is CEO, Chief Energy Officer at Torrance Learning, a full-stack learning services firm that does everything from learning strategy to instructional design and content development to software design and deployment. Torrance Learning also provides professional development for the learning and development industry, one example being the free XAPI learning cohort, which they ran before handing that baton to the Learning Guild. Megan is an evangelist for XAPI, so she and Salisa focused their conversation on XAPI, what it is, what it promises above and beyond SCORM, and some real-world examples of XAPI in action. They also talk about CMI5 and why most learning business professionals should care about it, but not too much, what can be done with data and analytics, human learning versus adult learning, and much more. Megan and Salisa spoke in June 2022. Would you explain what XAPI is and and how it got its start? Sure thing. So um, at its simplest level, uh, the X stands for experience, uh, which means it's not just about learning, it's about learning and performing, all sorts of experiences that people have, although it is specifically really for the learning industry. And API stands for Application Programming Interface, and that effectively is an agreement between two systems on how they're going to share data. What's interesting about XAPI is that it's not just agreement between two systems, a one-to-one, but rather an agreement of an entire industry for how we're going to talk about these learning and performance experiences. So if you think of like, wow, we have SCORM. That's what SCORM does. Actually, yes, SCORM is an open API for an open agreement for how we're all going to industry-wide talk about learning experiences that happen to happen in e-learning, launched from an LMS one at a time while you're logged into that e-learning, um, when the e-learning and the, is on the same server as the learning management system. Hence why we need something different. But it, XAPI was brought to us by the same organization, the Advanced Distributed Learning Group out of the federal government in the U.S. Uh, that brought us SCORM. So the two of them are, are highly aligned in their, their thinking. And so I believe you began to get into it when you were talking about sort of, you know, the limitations of SCORM um, there. But when you think about the real value of or potential for XAPI, you know, what comes to mind? Well, and this is kind of my business model wonkiness um, and my, my side hobby, I guess. Right. So interestingly, I'm not down on SCORM. SCORM actually did amazing things for our industry that many other industries don't have. We have a single, and I say single, there are a couple of ancillary specs also, but we have a single accessible free specification that is used globally by companies, by academic institutions, by associations, by militaries and governments, um, 
to, to talk about and exchange data about what we do. It means that I can put my content in any LMS on the planet, any corporate facing LMS on the planet, workplace LMS on the planet, and organizations, those buying organizations can then swap out any vendor, uh, any services provider, any authoring platform, and it all just works in their system. And nobody has to think much about SCORM except for the fine people who make sure SCORM stays up and run. So that means there's like almost no barriers to entry. There's a very fluid vendor market. It's also a very fluid employment market. Our tools are all designed to do this. So SCORM makes our industry really, really interesting and very, very fluid. XAPI right, has all that same promise of that interoperable global marketplace for content people platforms, but also gives us a lot richer data set and a lot more flexibility than SCORM did. So um, that richer data set we can use for analytics, we can use it for workflow triggers, um, we can also use it for really pedestrian things like gating and locking content personalization and remembering if you said something in one course, you know, if you say in one course, you really like purple and you take another, you know, the next course in the series, you don't have to say, I really like purple again, right? It, it, you can tie that data across, which you can't do with SCORM right now. There's a huge amount of value there. It's also harder to agree upon a shared set of uh, ways of talking around this data than it was with SCORM because SCORM is relatively shallow and XAPI lets you say almost anything about any kind of learning or performance experience. And maybe now might be a good time to just uh, talk a little bit about a structure. I mean, I had the good fortune of sitting in on a session where you were talking about sort of, you know, the kind of the core XAPI. And I'm just thinking about sort of like the actor verb, you know, that sort of thing. We you explain that a little bit for folks who may not be familiar with it? Yeah, absolutely. So I like to contrast SCORM and XAPI. SCORM, I think of as a vocabulary. I can talk about some relatively consistent but shallow pieces of data across everything, right? When you launch, when, what was your launch date and your completion date and your current status and what was the score on the test, but only one test? You know, how did you answer the questions, but only if you use the fancier SCORM 2004, right? So there's some relatively limited data I can get out of SCORM. And XAPI, right, like you mentioned, it's that, that it, it's a sentence. It kind of reminds us all of what, third grade language arts, right? I have an actor, right, or a, which is generally a person, but can be a group or a thing. And when I say a thing, like a, a thing, like a conference room or a piece of software or a piece of equipment in a factory floor. Um, all of those can be actors or agents. I have a, a verb, right? What did I do? And that verb is really, really important. And the verbs generally exist in a profile, which says whenever we're talking about things that look like e-learning, these are the verbs we're going to use and how we're going to use it. Whenever we talk about a thing that looks like video, these are the verbs Whenever I'm at a thing that looks like a conference, these are the verbs we're going to use. And then I have objects or activities, right? What did I do it on or in, right? And then after that is where, personally, I think it gets super interesting, and that's the context, right? It's your results and your context. Did I, was that the correct thing to do? What did I score on that? Not only when was it, but where was it? What comments did I offer about that? I, we can put in free text entry if you want. We can tag it with, I was on this piece of equipment in this particular conference, and right, all sorts of different things, how I rated something. Who was the instructor? 
in that case, right? All that can be possible within this XAPI statement, which then allows me to use any of those data elements to then extract meaning and insight right, data out of it later on. Well, thank you. I think that's very helpful to make sure that listeners sort of understand some of the core differences between SCORM and XAPI, which obviously just enables so many more situations to be recorded in a database. So, you know, that's kind of the mechanics of it. When you think about where things stand with XAPI, how would you talk about the acceptance of and implementation of XPI today? Oh, gosh, that that one, it depends, right? It depends on the day. So there are days when I will say it is slower than anybody wants it to be. Right. I mean, really, the, the, the community of people, and I was not in the earliest of the, the adopter and, and developer community here, but like they've been at, at this for a very long time. I arrived in the scene about 2012, and so I've been at this for about a decade, right? Um, and the, the thing here is that, yes, it's slower than anybody wants it, in part because it is an open spec and we're trying to tackle, right? The, the magic of XAPI isn't the technology, right? The technology is relatively boring. The magic of XAPI is the agreement of an entire global community to talk about learning and performance experiences in the same way. And yes, there's been some technical challenges, and I don't want to at all diminish the amazing work that's being done on the technical side, as well as just the, the, the huge part of why this is going slower than anybody wants. All this is being developed by committees, which is awesome because the committees are bringing a much, you know, a very well-rounded perspective from government, from industry, from academia. And that's really, really important. It's just also a shockingly slow way to move. <laughs> so, but what's, what, what's exciting is that it's actually picking up. I, I have long said that XAPI needs to be geek-free in order to, to, to really be able to, to get traction in the marketplace. And it is getting geek-free. At a very basic level in most people's e-learning authoring packages, you can, before you hit publish, you can click a button that says, I want to publish the XAPI. What you're probably going to get out of there for most packages, not all of them, is pretty dry stuff, but it requires zero programming. And that's, that's important. There are tools that are not e-learning tools that are using XAPI. So if you think about, right, it's one thing to say, like, I've got this little SCORM package and I want to make that XAPI. And that seems like a really logical way to go. And if you're a vendor uh, or, you know, a, a producer of that software, it makes total sense. Like, oh, SCORM, XAPI replace it. You know, I want to have both. They also have AICC and a few other different things that are all similar, right? But it's when it's the mobile reminder tools or chatbots or video streaming tools or survey tools that are using XAPI, right, that they did previously didn't have their data in the mix in a learning management system because all the SCORM-like stuff wasn't relevant. And I'm including uh, virtual reality and augmented reality. Like, software companies are talking to me about like how do we get in? How do we get our data in with all the rest of the data? It's super super cool. And I've been I did in 2019 and 2022 uh, learning guild research on the the state of adoption in the space, and it's just really exciting to see things moving forward. At Tagoras, we're experts in the global business of lifelong learning, and we use our expertise to help clients better understand their markets, connect with new customers, make the right investment decisions, and grow their learning businesses. 
We achieve these goals through expert market assessment, strategy formulation, and platform selection services. If you're looking for a partner to help your learning business achieve greater reach, revenue, and impact, learn more at tagoras.com services. So let's talk about CMI5. Would you maybe explain what that is? Yes, yes. And so I will start by saying I'm not an expert in CMI5. I'll also start by saying, and this might, this might be a little bit of a provocative statement, the average instructional design services provider, training provider, doesn't need to know a whole lot about it so much they really would like it to happen. Kind of like, I don't know a whole lot about the nuts and bolts of SCORM, like at the colons and brackets kind of level about SCORM. I just really want it to work. Same thing with CMI5. Okay, so here's what CMI5 is. CMI5 covers all of the SCORM-like stuff in XAPI. So CMI5 is the profile the data profile within XAPI that says, here's how e-learning courses and learning management systems will track what they used to track in SCORM in XAPI. It is all the same things you're used to seeing, attempt, launch, initialize. Uh, it's got page views, it's got question answers, it's got things like completion and pass and fail and, and succeed and fail. Like it's got all, you know, complete and complete and pass and fail and all those rules all that e-learning-y stuff, it's in. It's how to do it properly in XAPI. And CMI5 covers both the how does the software that sends that data, how should that be sent properly? And there's a test suite for that. And then there's a, a, an emerging test suite for on the LMS side to make sure that the LMS is reading that properly. My basic thing is that people, you want it to be there and you don't want to have to think about it. That's pretty much the bottom line. Like, don't get wrapped around the axle about CMI5. Um, it's actually, as a, we're in 2022, it is highly unlikely that you will find tools on both sides of that equation that use CMI5. They're making it work right now. If this were 2024, I'm going to get in so much trouble here. If this were 2024, then you probably would be able to say, yes, I actually want to see your CMI5 conformance, and then you could do that. Well, so thank you for explaining that, explaining why we care, but don't care too much. We don't care about the mechanics. Yes, <laughs> yes. You care, but not too much. <laughs> and so when you think about it, you know, our listeners representing learning businesses, working in learning businesses, when they're sort of thinking about, okay, what does XAPI mean for me at this point? How would you answer that question? What should they be thinking about or perhaps doing to further their own adoption of XAPI or their own uh, understanding of it? So there's a few things. If you've got developers on your team, you can point them at the XAPI specification. And there are gobs and gobs of resources for, for, for coding that and supporting that from scratch. For the rest of us, having a basic working understanding of XAPI is, is sufficient. I try to, like all my conference sessions, I do flash like, I think I have two screens that actually have code displayed. Right. Mostly so it's like, look, here's what it is. Poof, let's keep moving, I promise. Right? Um, because you don't need to know the colons and brackets to be able to use it. 
if you want to, you absolutely can. But there, there are a couple of ways. So the XAPI Learning Cohort, which my team founded and hosted for seven years, it's now being supported by the Learning Guild as of the fall of 2022. And that's a great place to get in and learn. So the XAPI Cohort is a 12-week free virtual learning by doing experience. You can show up every week for weekly webinars. We talk about what is XAPI and how do I send data and what do I do with data and how to take care of data. And then you see sample, you know, there's examples and demos. And at the same time, there's a, a Slack community for people to like form projects and try it out themselves. You can join somebody else's project. You can just watch a project happen. And so that's a, a way that people have been, you know, really getting their, their feet wet with that. Um, and more and more, your software tools and your services providers are, are getting up to speed and in, in doing this. It used to be, you know, a couple of years ago, I would have other services providers come to me and say, hey, we've got a client who wants to do this and we'll do this part, but can you take care of the XAPI part of things? I'm like, okay, we can do that. Uh, but more and more um, services providers can, can do that on their own, which is also pretty awesome. So you mentioned in that XAPI learning cohort that you can do projects. And so I'm thinking it might be great if you have some examples of what XAPI looks like in the wild, maybe a, a case study or, or something you can share to give us a little bit more meat on the bone. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got three projects in mind just to give you like little short descriptions of them. We can dive into deeper if you want. We had one project, we codename all of our projects. So codename Waterproof. In Waterproof, it was a multi-part learning experience. So there was a self-assessment and there was an e-learning course, there were three e-learning courses. There was a face-to-face -face course. There was a mobile performance support app. There was like coaching guides for managers to take this and extend it with their team. There were like all the things, right, that you should do for great training, right? It's not just an event. It's like all the things. And their LMS didn't track all of the things. So we used XAPI to track all of the things so we could keep track of what people were doing. But even within the learning, the e-learning part of the experience, we used XAPI to look more deeply at how people were engaging. So in this experience, if there was a, uh, a learning activity where you listened to six conversations and you kind of rated or gave answers to those six conversations, we know did you listen to the conversations? <laughs> right? <laughs> what did you actually choose once you got what the an right answer was? Did you change your answer back? Right? We know if there were six things on a screen, how many people clicked all six and how many clicked only five and how many clicked four? How many people clicked the hint button that we had kind of like grayed out in the upper right hand corner of the screen? And if they clicked the hint, did that help them perform in the course? Uh, we also have this really great um, interaction where you're, you're asked to provide just a free text paragraph of your thoughts. And while the course doesn't grade it, XAPI is at least sending that data out so we could read all of those answers and see the depth and the quality with which people took that. So that was super cool, right? So we're looking like, I call it the extreme navel gazing. <laughs> we're also using XAPI for some like really... Um, I mentioned earlier, right, some of the real utilitarian kinds of purposes that SCORM just doesn't support. So we have one course, it's a month, you know, it's like a four hour e-learning experience of eight different components. But those those eight components are all run by a layer 
that uses XAPI to talk to each of the eight. So the layer, the presentation layer, knows which of the eight you've taken, where exactly you are. It's a highly, highly gated course. So it's really, really locked down. You can't go ahead and, you know, until you've done a certain things, you have to look at all the things. But we also can keep track of if you told us in the beginning of the course that you do, you know, you do a little self-assessment or personalization tidbit, we can remember that information and use that further on in the course, right? which is super cool. And then we have a project we call Artemis. It's actually for a medical uh, association, and we're doing very, very complex question type assessments, case-based assessments, and we're using XAPI simply to lock it down and to ask and get really detailed insight into how people answer complex question types. So it's really, really, really interesting just from a, an educational provider perspective to be able to do some things that are, are much more than I could otherwise do in SCORM. But by doing this in XAPI, any of these projects, each of these organizations can bring in other vendors and other pieces of the learning experience and it all speaks the same data language. Rather than building all this within a proprietary system that doesn't share its data out and doesn't easily ingest other data. Well, in what you were sharing with those examples, I'm just thinking about like, that's a lot of data that's being generated <laughs> in these experiences, with it, which in many ways is is wonderful, but I think it probably speaks to the need to have some idea of what you want to do with the data. What, how are you going to either use that to improve the product, the learning experience in the future, or how are you going to use it to improve or personalize the experience for the learner currently? Absolutely. And, and so like we, when we're looking at data strategy, we start thinking about like, what are some of the pedestrian things that you're going to want? And I say pedestrian, like it's a bad thing. Like you've got to have a certain amount of, of data to just run your organization, right? You need, you need to know where people are. You need to know how they score. You need to know, you know what they're complete on so you can give that information back to them. And then what we start doing is we ask, like, what questions do you have? Right? What questions are out there? Um, we did this with a training provider a couple years ago as they were starting their data journey. And we just said, what questions are there? And we pulled it and we went dozens of questions. And then we said, well, who cares about the answers? And that was really, really interesting because there were some things that really the learners really wanted to know about their own performance, but at scale, nobody else really cared about as much, right? I mean, other than that it made the learners happy, right? And it gave them what they, they needed. Um, there were some things that the client organizations needed. There's some things that the provider organization needed. There were some things that the, the learning team cared about, but nobody else really did. And so by being able to parse those out, that was really insightful and we could prioritize some things. And then we looked at What's the data required to answer those questions, right? What are the indicators of either way, right? Of, the, of, the, of that, you know, how, how does that manifest itself in the world and what data could we get out of that? And only then are we then saying, how do we instrument the learning experience to capture that data? That's great to take it back to strategy, of course, and, you know, give the, the, the thought upfront around what questions do you have? How are you going to answer them? And yeah, and then you collect the data. So yeah, yes. Although I'm a huge fan. This also gets me in trouble. We're getting in trouble today. <laughs> um, I also am a huge fan of um, where you can and where it's ethical to do so. Ha having data that you might explore, right? And you might find new questions based on what you see there. So I'm all for that too. 
Well, I appreciate that added insight. You know, if it gets you in trouble, I might be in trouble with you then because, you know, I I think sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And maybe the data shows you something that you didn't even know to ask or look for in the first place. Oh, totally. The number of times. So I recommend like when 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 we're doing this, right, taking an iterative approach because your first questions, they're great questions. But once you answer them, then you have much better questions (laughs) um, because because then you know what you really want to look at. So, yeah, that second round is usually the magic. So we've been focusing on XAPI, but I know you're just deeply involved in learning more broadly. And so I want to ask, you know, how do you think about your own learning philosophy? How would you describe that? You know, it's it's funny because, and, and especially just coming off a, a conference I attended recently, I mean, learning is what people do. Like we just do all the time. And so I've been thinking lately, like, uh, you know, people say, I'm a lifelong learner. I'm like, well, aren't we all like, we all learn something. And it's just kind of, we're all, we're all inventors. I mean, it's part of what it it, it is to be human at some level. Right. But you know, some of it's formal, some of it's informal. I'm interested in, and and one of the things I want to do is kind of like go around and connect with, with older people. Like, how do you learn? Right. I spent a lot of the first half of my life with a lot of younger people, either being a younger person or raising younger people and coaching younger people and stuff. And so I'm, I'm interested in that just out of academic curiosity, I guess. But I think the other thing that's interesting is that in order to learn, you have to confess that you don't know something. And that can be really intimidating, right? And so if you're learning something within your own industry to then say, like, I don't really know about this is sometimes scary for people because you're an instructional designer. We thought you knew about these things. So, so that's, that's always interesting and can be either a a help or hindrance in that, that learning process, right? Where learning something outside your field, like I'm I'm a beginner at pickleball. Honestly, I don't even know what pickleball is. So like, I'm okay with being a complete and ranked beginner at pickleball and I can be okay with that because I'm not a particularly athletic person. So I don't have any like cred in the or you know like anything to prove so that's some of the things i've been it's not really my learning philosophy it's just things i'm thinking about learning these days well i appreciate that idea of you know to learn is human and so it's you know instead of saying i'm a lifelong learner it's more about on the spectrum of reluctant or eager (laughs) where do you fall on the lifelong learning spectrum (laughs) so again you've been involved in a lot of different learning experiences participating in them as a learner, designing them, developing them. So if you had to think about kind of key ingredients in effective adult learning, you know, what would you point to? What have you seen as being critical for effective learning over the span of your career? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this one gets me in trouble also, because I look at the, the, the list of adult learning principles and like, oh, kids, kids would buy into this too. It's just that what they consider relevant and it is totally different than what adults might consider relevant. And we can force kids to do something. Adults are different. But one of the things that I find really, really valuable is when we're talking about adult kind of workplace learning is, is that relevance factor, right? Is it relevant to me? Is it relevant to my role? Is it relevant to where I want to go? Otherwise, I'm just kind of doing it to make somebody else happy. And so I'm a huge fan of really, really relevant practice. I'm a big fan of like action planning. Like, you know, here's, here's a topic. 
even if it's just an information dump topic, the only reason you would choose to consume it is because you need that information to do something. Let's at the very least help you plan that action going forward or reflect on what you're learning and how that applies to you personally. It, it helps it helps you get started. When I do my professional development courses, all the activities are, are the learner's own work. It's not a fake case. I used to bring a fake case, you know, like here's case, yeah, we're gonna make a training course about this. And, and everyone's like, yeah, great, but now I gotta apply this to my stuff, right? And so now I have them bring like their own work. And when they do that, then they actually are creating their own like first step and their own reminder and cheat sheet afterwards. So I think that's that's really, really huge. I'm also a big fan wherever in whatever context, right? Around personalization and adaptation. Whether it's the personalization is doing the action planning that's personal to you, or here are three articles, four videos, and you know, and a haiku. I'm, I'm making something, right? But pick four of these that are interesting for you rather than making you, you know, take all the content, right? Or the concept of cafeteria learning. Even in an instructor-led situation, right? If you can mix up the activities so that people can gravitate to an activity that's meaningful to them. I think that's huge. Well, I like that emphasis on uh, relevance. And I, I will say too, when I look at some of the like Noel's principles, yeah, I'm like, I, I don't know how, why this is adult versus, yeah, just human back to, you know. Human, yeah. yes, human learning. For, for, oh, we've just done a thing here. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> human learning principles. Well, I think, you know, you, you're a lifelong learner. I think you're an enthusiastic lifelong learner <laughs> on that end of the spectrum. So would you share with us how you do think about your own development and your own lifelong learning? Are there specific habits or sources or practices that you engage in yourself um, to develop professionally or personally, if you'd like to share that too? I, uh, I'm flattered that you think I have that much discipline about it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I go down rabbit holes on the internet, um, <laughs> a, a few things. So I sign up for a bunch of newsletters, most of which I don't read, but I do scan the headlines. Right. And so I am just getting into the practice and of carving out enough time to attend conferences that aren't directly related to my industry, but kind of adjacent that's been something I've been interested in. Um, there's tons of, you know, the things I tend to be interested in lately, professionally around like data and statistics. And there are a ton of really interesting, easy and enjoyable to read books. You know, either the New York Times bestseller list is full of books about statistics. Uh, you have to dig a little bit deeper down in the list, but <laughs> there's books about statistics. And I, I find that very interesting. So that's a piece I like to take notes because that taking notes as I go helps me kind of con contextualize it and just kind of cement it in my brain a different way. I also, I have a firm belief, and it's also a running joke around Torrance Learning, that instructional designers ruin everything. Like we, like people in the learning profession, we see things differently in the world. We consume the directions to assemble furniture in a different way than the average bear. We, you know, look at signage and 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 process that differently because half the time the stuff that we build could be signage, right? We go to museums in a different way that other people go to the museum. I think that there, we're also just kind of constantly evaluating and scanning and picking up good ideas and 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 whatnot in our world. Well, I appreciate that idea that it can be 
everything from a rabbit hole on the internet to just walking into a museum, that all of those are opportunities for for learning. And in some ways, probably because they get you out of, you know, what you might choose to study formally, they can lead to some interesting ideas and begin to see some connections. So thank you for sharing that. So you've been involved in learning a long time. So I'm curious when you think about the future of learning, what excites you? Are there trends or developments that you sort of have your eye on? I happen to be spending a, a lot of time, not surprisingly, um, on data and, and statistics. And so I have a certain biased lens. I will totally fess up to that. But I think what's interesting about that kind of data-driven trend in our industry, I mean, for the most part, most functions of most large organizations have better data than the learning function has, right? Um, I think in higher ed, I think they tend to have better data sometimes about what's going on in a student perspective. I think as we start looking at workplace learning and the ability to use data and statistics to start informing how we design, how we tailor, how we personalize, what we even do, I think that's really, really powerful. And the one of the downsides of SCORM is that because it's been so limited, our industry is kind of there's a certain, it's, it's the wrong term for it, but it's kind of like learned helplessness. We don't know what we don't have. We've not, you know, we have we've never had it, right? Depending on the platforms we use. So we tend not to, I mean, if you want to, if you want to empty a conference room, is you start saying, we're going to talk about statistics now. <laughs> and so that tends to put people off, right? I think that bringing that into our space is a really exciting time for us. Wonderful. Thank you. That was the last of the official questions um, that I have for you. Is there anything else that comes to mind that you want to have a chance to say? You know, one of the things that I love about the XAPI Learning Cohort was that we created it to be inclusive and welcoming. So, and so I, I welcome all your listeners to join us. It's a, if for no other reason than to take the instructional designer's lens and say like, how did they build that? How does that operate? Because we've had 14 semesters when Torrance Learning was running it, and then the Learning Guild is taking that on and, and taking from there to really hone that as a learning experience and to really think very carefully about how do we onboard new people into that community, right? There's 4,000 people in the Slack, and we're talking about something technical. And I'll tell you, lately, there's a lot of, you know, former teachers who are like, hi, I'm new to instructional design and I don't know anything. And somebody told me I should know about XAPI. And I'm thinking, you know, that's a big, steep learning curve that you're, you're, you're signing yourself up for, right? How do we make people feel comfortable and excited about that? So, so that kind of individual level, comfort level and inclusion, we also spend a lot of time making sure that the speaker base that the, the, the people that are, are lifted up in that space are also as diverse as possible. And so we have done a lot of work around making sure that we have a blend of women and men talking about learning technology, that we have U.S., we've been U.S.-centric, but we bring in some non-U.S. voices as we go. We bring in uh, people of different races, people of different backgrounds and perspectives, and that's been intentional all along to really reflect back all of what our, our industry has to offer.
Megan Torrance is CEO at Torrance Learning and founder of the XAPI Learning Cohort. She's the author of Agile for Instructional Designers, Iterative Project Management to Achieve Results, and Making Sense of XAPI. You'll find links to the Torrance Learning website, along with a variety of XAPI resources, in the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 319. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 319, you'll also see options for subscribing to the podcast. We would be grateful if you would subscribe, if you haven't yet, as subscriptions give Jeff and me some data on the impact of the podcast. And we'd also be grateful if you'd take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, especially if you enjoy the show. Salisa and I personally appreciate reviews and ratings, and they help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Lastly, please spread the word about leading learning. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 319, there are links to find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Podcast.